Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. We will go ahead and dismiss the three and five-year-olds and I believe the six and seven-year-olds as well. Six and seven-year-olds, so they can make their way out to their classes. And for the rest of us, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them or turn them on. Uh, We're going to be in Psalm 23 today. Psalm 23. And uh, Josh was uh, supposed to preach today, um, but he was uh, flying back from South Carolina yesterday, or was supposed to fly back from South Carolina, uh, but had some delays and uh, some cancellations, and so asked me to uh, go ahead and and fill in for him uh, this morning. And uh, so always happy to do that, but um, we'll see what we have, because I'm less than 24 hours of prep on this one. So uh, Psalm 23 is is what we're going to look at. And uh, I don't think there's any other passage of Scripture that I'm aware of um, that really is as well known or is often quoted and just consistently leaned on uh, by weary, just exhausted people like the 23rd Psalm. And I think God accomplishes this comfort for our souls, just not, not by talking a lot about us, but by talking a lot about himself and, and what he's doing and, and not only what he's doing um, in the grand scheme of life, but also what he's doing in the intimate relationships that he has with, with his people, or as we'll see here today, as, as his sheep. And uh, so I think it's going to be, a, a at least for me, I know this is a, a psalm that I constantly go through or go to, uh, both in times of weariness and exhaustion, but also in times of, of peace and comfort, in times uh, when things are, I mean, you know the difference. There are seasons where your highs and your uh, walking on the mountaintops and you're just experiencing a lot of ease and, and comfort and just good things happening. And then there's also those seasons where you're walking in the valley and you're walking in low points and you're walking in stress and anxieties. And I think this psalm speaks into both of those seasons. And so I felt it would be a good one for us this morning to, to just kind of walk through and again, just see the type of leader. Because I really think this psalm is, is more about not the valleys that we walk through or the highs that we walk through, but I think it's more about the leader that we are entrusting ourselves to and what he's doing for us on a constant basis. And so that's kind of the outline I'm going to give you real quick that we're going to walk through is just there is a leader who we can trust. That's going to be the first point. And then from there, what I want to look at is um, where is he leading us and then also why he is leading us. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And so as we read um, Psalm 23, it's only six verses, so I'm going to go ahead and have you stand uh, for this one just to show reverence for God's Word. And this is God speaking to us. This is God opening up His mind, opening up His heart to us. And so I just want us to give some reverence to the Word of God and let this speak over you this morning. Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we ask this morning that as we look at this psalm, and as we look at this good shepherd, the great shepherd, and we realize that for him to be a shepherd, we must be the sheep. May we understand that relationship better this morning. And that we understand our role, and that there's nothing that we can do to fix our situations or to solve or resolve our situations or our circumstances. There's really no control we have over our life, whether we find ourselves on the mountain or we find ourselves in the valley. At the end of the day, what we know is we have a good shepherd who is leading us, who is for us, and who is providing for us goodness and mercy every step of the way. So may we see him not just as the Lord and the good one. The one that we can entrust ourselves to and submit to and follow. And when he speaks, the sheep hear his voice and we run and we know there that we will be protected and provided for above all else. Let us see Jesus this way this morning. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So the first one I want to look at here is that the leader who can be trusted. If you think about God as creator, or you think about God as Lord, they they emphasize his transcendence. They emphasize his bigness, if you will. They emphasize his might and his majesty. And that should create in us that, that feeling we feel when we stand in front of the Grand Canyon, which I got to do uh, just literally three days ago, I was standing in front of the Grand Canyon and just looking out and just feeling this sense of, of awe uh, and also just terror <laughs> as well. Uh, because as I'm standing there, no rails, you can literally just walk to the edge. And I'm like, I mean, you, you trip, you're, you're gone. And so there's this sense of like, it, there's this magnificence that I'm looking out at it. But there's also this, this kind of feeling of like, I'm, I'm a little uneasy about this. And when you think about God as creator and God as king and God as judge, those are of terms that are attributed to him where there does sense that feeling of, and he, he is big, he is awestruck, like he's, he's magnificent. And he's got a majesty that he can do anything as he pleases. But depending on where I find myself, whether I'm in his grace or in his wrath, that can be a terrifying thing. And so this term that I love that the Lord attributes to himself of being a shepherd is one where it kind of pulls us down a little bit from those larger terms and it brings us into one that's a little bit more intimate, if you will. One that it's someone willing to come out and maybe grab you and pull you alongside of. Maybe walking hand in hand with the Lord in an intimate way. 
And I think that's what David's really kind of getting at here is we're talking about a man who had seen the highest of highs and the lowest of lows now saying the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, we have David who understands that terminology because he was a shepherd boy. And we know that if you know anything about like church history and you know anything about your Bible, David and Goliath, one of the famous stories that maybe you've heard when you were a little child in, in, in Sunday school or whatever it might have looked like. And, and where was David when this war, this battle was about to happen? He's off back at home taking care of the sheep. He's a shepherd boy. But he understands that relationship between shepherd and sheep. Protecting them, providing for them, feeding them, tending to them, giving them whatever they need so that they're able to say, as he says here, I shall not want. Better translated, what else could I want? The Lord is my shepherd. What else could I want? He's providing for me literally everything that I need. He says he's the kind of leader who should make us go, who else? Would we want to lead us? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus himself would say there's a kind of leadership that's a bit sketch, if you will. And there's a kind that can be submitted to. There's a kind of shepherd that you should not entrust yourself to or follow or submit to. But there's a kind of shepherd who you should not look for anything else from anywhere else. And he says this in John 10, starting in verse 11. Jesus, and this is him going back and referencing this psalm. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. So I don't know if you're drawing the parallels between these two passages, but surely you can feel as you look out in the world, like who could I possibly trust? Like what kind of person could I possibly trust? I mean, let's just talk briefly about this. Let me ask you a question. Is there anyone you trust 100%? Is there anyone you trust 100%? And of those in this room who are married are like, why are you asking me that question? They're, they're standing next to me right now or sitting next to me. But I'll be the first one to put the cards out on the table. I know my wife does not trust me 100%. And the reason why I can say that is because she's in the room over there with our youngest right now. But I know she doesn't trust me 100% because every Monday night, she has to remind me to get the trash ready to be taken out for Tuesday. Because she knows I'm going to forget about it. She doesn't trust that I will remember to get the trash taken out on time when it should. Or there's often times where she'll come home and she'll ask me the question, so what are your plans for the evening? And I already know exactly why she's asking me that. Because she knows that whatever plans I have for the evening are probably not the best plans to have for the evening. She has a different set of plans for the evening that are going to be more productive rather than binging Netflix or something. And so there's this side of her that's not, it's not that she doesn't trust me, it's just that she doesn't trust me 100%. Because I'm human. She knows that. 
Enough about me and our marital problems. We did just celebrate. We were at the Grand Canyon because of 10 years of, of marriage. And so I feel like I can begin to say these things now. It looks... But who can we trust? I mean, look at I mean, the political realm. Even if it's within your political party that you kind of align with, there's not a political leader in your political party that you would say, man, I trust every decision that they're going to make. 100%. No. There's no athlete out there that you trust 100% that they're going to get the job done. At the end of the day, there's no one, no human being alive with a beating heart and a flawless mind that, that is going to allow you to put 100% trust in. No matter where you look in the world right now. So who can we say, I'm following that person no matter what happens. Things will go well. What Jesus is arguing, and I think David is pointing to the fact that a life surrendered to Jesus Christ puts us under the leadership, under the authority of the one who will be for us and not against us. In fact, on repeat, the Bible talks about Jesus in this way. That the only person you can actually trust 100% that they will do what they say they will do, that they will see it to completion, and that everything that they say of themselves is 100% true. 100% true. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is only pointing to one person that we can have confidence in saying, I trust them. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. In Psalm 84, the psalmist says, No good thing will, be, will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you. That's Jesus saying, My grace is enough for you. You need nothing else. You need no one else. All you need is Jesus. Romans 8, all things work together for good of those who are in Christ Jesus. That's saying, whether you're on the mountaintops, whether you're in the valley, whatever it is that's happening to your life, whether that's because of your sin or because of someone else's sin or whatever it looks like, whether it's your success or someone else's success, whatever is happening in your life, what we can say with confidence is that Jesus the Good Shepherd is using all of those situations, all of those careers, all of those relationships that are in your life, and He's working them out for your good. That's what the shepherd is doing for his sheep. To make sure that it is working out for your good. Why? Because He is the Good Shepherd. And He's one that can be trusted. Where then is this good shepherd leading us? Where is he leading us to? Since Jesus is the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the one who's leading, the one who's guiding, providing, where is it that he's leading us? Well, let's dive into the text. He's leading us toward rest and restoration. That's verses 2 through 3. In fact, one of the things I, I like about it is there are plurals in this. It's green pastures. It's still waters. It's not just a one and done thing. It's not just a get yourself to Mecca eventually and then you will find the rest and restoration or relaxation that you're so longing for. 
No, this is a constant process where Jesus, the good shepherd, is leading us towards rest and restoration, especially at times when we desperately need it. When we desperately need it in our lives. And if you've tried to follow Jesus for any period of time, you, you know this to be true. We, we go and we're in green pastures and, and we feel seen there. We feel loved. We feel known and the presence of God seems near to us. And I think oftentimes we, we feel that presence more, especially when we're coming out of seasons where we're in the valley. Where we're in the valley. Because especially westernized culture, the way that we've kind of created things is, is, is be very successful. And then once you reach whatever that success is, then you can take a vacation. You can rest. You can relax. But in Christianity, it's really kind of the flip side of that. It's not necessarily that we find um, rest and relaxation whenever we're successful. It's kind of honestly the opposite. It tends to be when we find areas of success that we then enter into valleys. We enter into turmoil. We enter more money, more problems. I mean, we just enter into issues in life. And it's after we enter into those times of suffering, those times of stress, those times of anxiety, that we then feel the shepherd pulling us into a green pasture, pulling us into an area of still waters, leading us hand in hand in order to be able to find his goodness and his peace and his comfort, his rod and his staff in order to protect us, in order to provide for us, and in those moments, in order to just hug us a little tighter than maybe what we felt in the past. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he simply says, because he's with me. He's with me. I mean, there's no one, and this kind of comes back to whether you've got a best friend, whether you've got a, a mom and dad who, who are constantly the person that you're always going to, whether you've got a spouse that's that person. Whatever it is, there's no one in your life who can truly say to you, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. And you might have a good spouse. You might have a good mom and dad. You might have a good best friend. But at the end of the day, they're limited. When Jesus the good shepherd is not. He's not. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and, and what that means, because I know that is, I mean, that's been used in songs. That's been used in all kinds. I know some of you right now are thinking through those songs. Um, the shadow, it's not just this superficial where you're probably thinking like literally a mountain with a valley and there's like bones and stuff and, and it's just walking through that. No, it's, it's the shadow of death. Oftentimes the New Testament refers to shadows of the Old Testament into the New Testament as things that are, are kind of pointing to or examples of. And when we're talking about shadow of death, we're talking about everything that death represents, the circumstances that you walk through in life that are shadowing death. Basically things that are destroying you, 
things that are causing stress and anxiety, things that are decaying, things like bad conversations that are not going the way that you want them to go, uh, bad finances that are not going the way that you want them to go, whatever it looks like that feels like it's killing you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of everything that's representing death, I'm able to walk through these things because Jesus is walking through it with me. He's walking through it with me. He's carrying me. He's there for me because he's the good shepherd. What Jesus said in John 10 is when it comes to the wolves coming, when it comes to the dark night of the soul, uh, others will leave. Others will leave. People in your life will leave. They will not be there. Others will abandon. It's not safe enough for them. So, so they're getting out of there. They just don't care. But Jesus is going, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here, I'm here with you. Not only am I here with you, but I'm going to kill the wolf. Even if it tries to kill you. Or kill him. And he's there to do this for your good. For your good. This is what Jesus does in the laying down of his life. A leader that can be trusted is one who's willing to lay down his life for your good, for you to have life and life abundantly. He's leading us through difficult times. And then look at verse 5. He's leading us into joy. It shouldn't be lost on you that we went from, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then moves into, you prepare a table for me or before me in the presence of my enemies. Here's what he's doing. He, he's, he's literally sandwiching rest and relaxation with the suffering in the middle. So he's the good shepherd who's leading us out into green pastures. So we're really just making us lie down in green pastures. Leading us beside still waters. Like if you're not resting, he's going to make you rest at some point. Don't know what that's going to look like. But he'll make you lie down in green pastures. Because we need that rest and relaxation. Restoration. We need that. And then there's going to be times where we walk into the valley of the shadow of death. And then out of that, he's preparing a table before our enemies. He's literally gathering you for a feast. To fill you up. And to provide for you what you need for strength. And for comfort, he's leading us into joy. The leadership of Jesus leads us not into a really thin kind of happiness based on circumstance, but it's deep-rooted joy that he's for us and not against us. A deep-rooted joy that he was with us through the valley, and he wasn't with us through the valley kind of going, well, if you would have just done this, we wouldn't be here. Or if you'd have just done that, or... We want to be here, but he's with us with his rod, with his staff, comforting, leading, and guiding. We're, we're going to get through this together. He's not abandoning us. And then we come out of that valley into a banqueting table with the oil of gladness being poured all over us. And I like the terms of gladness and joy versus happiness because at the end of the day, you can be glad and joyful even in the valley of the shadow of death. But you probably will not be happy. Right? Like you, could, you can walk out of this room right now and having a great conversation where someone compliments you in some way and it makes you happy. And you can go outside 
And a bird can drop something on you that changes that entire feeling of happiness, right? You can pull out of the parking lot and a car hits you and there goes the happiness. But gladness and joy that's provided by the Lord cannot be robbed from you. Cannot be stolen from you. And I think that's what so frustrates the enemy is that he's doing this in their presence. He's providing a banqueting table for us and the gladness of oil anointing us in the presence of our enemies. What, what that means is, is the enemy, the thief, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's come to make sure that you have nothing good in your life. He's come to make sure that you don't see Jesus, that you don't see the shepherd and what he's providing for you and what he's doing for you. What the, what the thief is trying to do is rob you of anything that would cause you to worship God. To give Him glory. To say He is good and He's awesome. And that you are standing in front of Him like you are the Grand Canyon where you're awestruck in that moment. That's what the thief is trying to rob you of. And what Jesus is doing is He's putting you right in front of the enemy. And He's saying, you know what enemy? I want you to see what I'm doing here. I want you to see what I'm providing for for my sheep. I want you to see how I'm caring for them and taking care of them. And there's nothing that you can do to rob them of this. Nothing. Like that's good news for us. Because how many times for us is there this, this mentality that we have where we might give more credit to the enemy that we should when it comes to the circumstances that we're walking through and we're just woe is me or how terrible the circumstances that I'm going through I mean we're giving credit as if the victory in those moments have been won by the enemy when we look hopeless and helpless because we don't have our eyes on our shepherd or we're not hearing his voice or we're not seeing what he's providing for us when we look hopeless and helpless, the enemy is happy and thinking that they're robbing us of something. But in those moments, when we're able to put our eyes back on Jesus and we're able to see the fact that even though those circumstances might not be different, we're still in the valley of the shadow of death. And as we're coming out of it and he's preparing this banqueting table for us and he's anointing us with gladness and joy, when he's doing that, and we begin to worship Him regardless of our circumstances. It is nothing but a slap in the face. And it's actually killing and stealing and destroying anything that the enemy thought that they had. That's what's happening in that moment. That's why you see in the New Testament, when you're looking at the different characters, of, of especially the, the disciples... I mean, you could not affect their lives in such a way, especially from the enemy's perspective, that would make the enemy happy. It just couldn't be done. I mean, Paul has to be one of the most frustrating people. And when I say enemy, I'm literally referring to Satan. I'm referring to the demonic realm. I'm referring to sinners. I'm referring to even us at times. That when, when the enemy is trying to rob them or stop them of the advancement of the gospel. You know what? You know how we can stop Paul? 
Let's throw him in prison. If we throw him in prison, he'll stop writing letters. He'll stop worshiping Jesus. He'll stop telling people about Jesus. He, he won't do any of those things because we're literally putting him in a cage. And what does the apostle do? do? Hey, you got any pen and paper? Let me write some letters to some churches. I need to encourage them in the Lord right now. I need them to know that my shackles and chains cannot shackle and chain the gospel. Like it needs to get out and it's going to get out. Give me some paper and pen. Not only that, he's literally singing. He's singing. He's praising the Lord while he's in his own valley of the shadow of death. And not only that, but he's looking at the guard. Hey, guard. Have you ever met Jesus before? Let me tell you about him. And the guard gets saved. I mean, nobody could harm him or, or thwart him of the presence that he had with Jesus and what he's experiencing with Jesus, so much so that no matter what his circumstance looked like, he's making sure Jesus is being made known and that he's being made much of. Like, that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in those moments. You could not thwart that. Why? Because he sees his good shepherd. He knows his good shepherd. He hears his good shepherd's voice and his good shepherd is guiding him every step of the way no matter what he's experiencing in those moments. That's what's happening. I mean, you take the beloved disciple John who in his comfort is, is just reclining against Jesus' chest. Knows his good shepherd. Intimately knows his good shepherd. To the point where they try to boil him alive. And when they realize that it's not killing him, they think it's some freak show. And then that's when they send him out to the island of Patmos. Where he's like, hey, give me some pen and paper. I'm going to write down Revelation. I mean, this is, this is the disciples because of verses like this that comfort them. That they can trust. You know what? It doesn't matter what you guys try to do. It doesn't matter what the Roman rule is. It doesn't matter that everyone is all about Caesar is Lord. No, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my good shepherd. You can do whatever you want to me. I mean, humbling so much that even Peter himself. Peter, we're going we're gonna to kill you because of Jesus. Okay? We're going to crucify you because of Jesus. Okay? No, we just said we're going to crucify you because of Jesus. If you're going to crucify me, could you at least just crucify me upside down because I don't want to die in the same way that he did because I don't find myself worthy enough. I mean, how frustrating is that if you're the guard? Like, I thought this was going to be a pleasing thing that we're killing these guys. No, it's just frustrating. They're worshiping more. We're not destroying this. We're actually advancing it and we don't even know it. And that's actually probably one of the most brilliant things I think C.S. Lewis has ever written is when he's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. And he's talking about Satan thinking that Satan is winning by killing Jesus on the cross. And what Satan doesn't know is that in him thinking that he's having victory over Jesus at the cross is that he's actually committing suicide himself. He's actually executing the very thing that's going to turn the entire world upside down and thwart every possible plan that he has. 
And so at this point, when he sees the resurrection of Jesus, all he's able to see is, all we got is to try to just rob them as much as we can of joy, of seeing Jesus. At the end, in the end, Jesus is going to win. I mean, they've got access to the same scriptures we do. They know Jesus wins. All they're trying to do is rob you of seeing what Jesus is doing on a daily basis. When the people of God walk in gladness in difficult seasons, not happiness, but when they walk in gladness, it just transcends you in a way. It transcends you out of your circumstance, out of your situation. And it just, it just causes this type of calmness. And you might not feel calm all the time, but it just causes this type of calmness that, that I'm in this pasture, I'm among sheep, and I've got a good shepherd. It provides the only thing that this world cannot offer you, and it provides you hope. Like, it provides you hope. I mean, when we go back to the idea of trusting anything 100%, I mean, what, like at the end of the, hope is what we're talking about. What can I put hope in that is going to be good for me? Let me vote for this candidate. Let me pursue this career. Let me marry this person. Let me have these amount of kids. Like, I'm hoping that this is going to work out for me. But at the end of the day, the only thing that we can with 100% confidence say, when I hope in this, I actually feel hopeful. I feel hopeful. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's it. Jesus. And that's what David is saying here. And the Lord is my shepherd. I'm hopeful. I don't want anything else. I don't need anything else. And I think that's why he's leading us. Because what that does is that when we see that Jesus is our greatest hope and we're glorifying him in that place, we're magnifying him in that place, we're seeing that it's actually him being for us is actually still not about us. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me beside still waters for my namesake. No, for his namesake. For God's namesake. And, and the reason why that should actually provide for you the most hope in this room. Is because God's name is at stake. God's holiness is on the table. God's goodness is on the table. God's righteousness is on the table. So when he says, I'm going to do these things for my name's sake. What he's saying is, if I don't do these things, I cease to be God. I cease to be God. I cease to be good. I cease to be holy. I cease to be righteous. I cease to be the, the, the literal, whatever you need for hope and comfort and peace. I can't do anything if I don't come through on these things. What God is saying at the end of the day is. I'm going to be a good shepherd. Because I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. 
I am rest. I am relaxation. I am comfort. I am peace. If you do not experience those things with Jesus as your shepherd, Jesus ceases to be shepherd. That's huge. That's huge. Because all of Christianity is literally hinging on whether or not Jesus is true. Whether or not He's true. And whether or not He's right. And what we've been able to see, this isn't just the first time that the Bible has been open. We've been looking at this for 2,000 years since Jesus' crucifixion. And there's not been one moment in those 2,000 years where it's come back void. Not one moment. For those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who trust Him. For those who see Him. For those who know Him. For those who abide in Him. There's not one moment that it's come back void. Now there might be times in your life where you're in those valleys. And this is why I love the Psalms because I just think they're honest. There's times where David is walking through and his enemies are, are literally coming around him. And, and it's different types of enemies than what you have. All right, like I don't see people like surrounding your house with like fire and swords and chariots like literally about to just demolish the building in hopes that they're going to kill you. Like, that's the kind of enemies that David's found himself with. All right, And in those moments, he's crying out, Lord, where are you? Where are you? But yet he still has the same breath the next day to write down another psalm and say, Lord, everywhere I go, there you are. <laughs> I mean, he's really like the schizophrenic theologian of the, of the scriptures. But there's moments where we just see ourselves. And in those moments, it's easy for us to yell out and scream out, God, where are you? But what we don't see in those moments is the fact that Jesus is still there. And he still is holding you. And he still is with you. And he still is literally carrying you and providing everything that you need in those moments. So that when you come out of that valley of the shadow of death and you see that banquet, you're able to then say, Lord, everywhere I look, there you are. I can now look back and see clearly where you were when I was crying out, where are you? I can see that. I don't know, I've had conversations with you guys in, in, the, in the past about that. Where I can look back on seasons, dark seasons, where I'm like, okay, Lord, like you're the good shepherd, you're protecting your sheep. Like, why, where were you? Where were you? But now I can look back and I can see. I mean, like, you know, just using a couple of examples for you. Two years ago, at the entrance to my neighborhood, I know many of you know the story, a guy tried to stab me twice. And I'm looking in those moments, like, I'm here planning a church for you, Lord. Like, I'm here, I'm trying to raise kids. I'm trying to be a good husband to my wife. Like, I'm trying to be a good friend to others. I'm trying to, and we've got a guy trying to kill me at the front entrance to the neighborhood. Like, where are you, Lord? And then now I can look back and be like, you know what? Maybe the Lord was helping direct this guy on not being able to, to be good with a knife. Because <laughs> he missed. I just walked away with a scratch. That was it. 
Like that's, that's the Lord being good in that moment for me. I mean, this actually, I haven't hardly shared this with anybody. It happened two and a half weeks ago. Again, I was walking down Broad Ripple and a dude tried to mug me. Like, it's just, in this one, I, I, I was able to see it a little bit quicker. And so I was able to defend myself better. And I was actually able to walk away angry because I, I was just mad that it happened. Way different than the first situation. But in that moment, okay, Lord, I'm like literally, I just walked away from a meeting where I'm, I'm meeting with a, a Burmese pastor who's wanting to plant another church on the south side of Indianapolis and trying to help him get some funding for that. And then I walk out of that, and I'm just walking down the street, and a guy tries to rob me. I mean, in that moment, I could be thinking, as I'm walking away, I'm like, seriously, Lord? But then in the moment, I can be like, you know what? Thank you for the fact that last night I was at my son's karate practice, and they were just practicing Spartan kicks. I mean, just straight to the gut. And that's exactly what I did to this guy. And so I'm just in the moment thinking, you know what, thank you. I don't know that I would have thought about that if I wasn't seeing that last night and watching Ezra do that to some other kids, you know. Like, it's, it was good. Like, as I look back, I can see where the Lord is at in valleys. I can see it. And I think you will too. Right now, you might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You're, like, you're, just, you're just in it. And you're wondering, I mean, you're just wondering, where's the goodness of God? Where's his grace and his mercy? Where's his love and his affection? And you might be there. And, and the, literally the only thing I can promise you is that the good shepherd is preparing a banqueting feast. And he's preparing it in the midst of this enemy encampment that you're experiencing right now. And he's going to shut them up. He's going to shut them up. And you're going to be filled with gladness and you're going to be filled with joy when you partake. It's a feast. And there might be others in this room who have come out of that and you're, you're full. I mean, you've just feasted. You're You're comforted. And in that same moment, with that comfort and with that joy, hey, you worship God, you praise God. But I think what you can also do is I think you can also look around. Look around and see those who are in the valley. See those who are in the shadow of death. And how can you comfort them? How can the shepherd steer you along and bring you over to them and say, hey, I still got a little bit left over from my feast. Can, can I share with you? I just want to encourage you. I just want to love you right now. I just want to, can, what can I do to, to help ease something in your life right now? What does that look like? Can I cook you a meal? Can I watch your kids for a night? Can I, you know, just write, just write them a letter. Send them a text message. Pray for them, whatever it looks like. Because in this room, you're either in the valley or you're out of it. You're, you're, you're laying down in a green pasture somewhere. And you're just resting right now. That's really the only places we're in. Use those moments to look for Jesus. Because 
He's either fighting off the enemy or he's passing the plate. He's doing that for you. He's doing that for you. He's the good shepherd. And we can trust him. We can trust him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for this psalm that shows us how good you are as our great shepherd. And that everywhere we go, because you're with us, goodness and mercy follows all the days of our life. And we know that because we're with you, we are dwelling literally in the house of the Lord. And so, Father, that, that allows us to, to experience some type of rest. Maybe right now, for those who are in this room, weary. For those in this room right now who are anxious, knowing that you are with us provides some type of peace. For those in this room right now who are unsure about the future, knowing that you are with us, it provides hope. Hope. Because God, you are for us. You are for us. Because ultimately you are for yourself and your great name to be spread over the entire earth. And so Lord, we just trust you. We look to you and we trust you. There's no one else that we can trust like we trust you. And so when we find ourselves in those valleys, when we find ourselves in those green pastures, the only posture that we can possibly live in is surrendering and submitting to you. You're the good shepherd. It's in your beautiful son name we pray. Amen. We close each of our gatherings out with communion and communion uh, is is a beautiful picture a beautiful ceremony if you will of several things that i talked about today literally several things that i talked about the good shepherd as jesus de- you know declares of himself in john 10 says that when the enemy comes he doesn't run and hide he doesn't leave you no he lays his life down for you And that's exactly what Jesus did at the cross was the good shepherd went and laid his life down for us by dying in our place for our sins. That's exactly what the shepherd did. He went and he died so that the sheep might have life and have it abundantly. And also what communion is, is it is a banqueting feast. Now, it's not going to fill you up in literal, tangible substance. But it's more for your soul. It's for your soul. It's a feast for your joy. It's a feast for your gladness. It's a feast that we know every time we partake of it and His body is broken and His blood is shed and we're remembering that happening. 
Every time we do that, our soul is comforted that that's what he's willing to do in order to forgive us of our sins when we were enemies of him. How much more now is he willing to continue to pursue us and provide for us that we've been adopted into his family? I mean, that's what we're remembering when we partake of communion. What Jesus' sacrifice did was not just remove your sins and forgive you, but it's then to lavish His love on you and for you to then one day in glory receive His inheritance. I mean, literally, the Bible says we are co-heirs with Christ. How much does the Father love Jesus and what He's giving Jesus as an inheritance? He's also giving that inheritance to us so that we are co-heirs with Christ, as Romans 8 says. So let this meal be one that allows you to be humbled by our sin that put Jesus on the cross and what he was willing to do to break his body and shed his blood. Let's remember that death and proclaim it. And in addition to that, also coming out of that as he raises us to a new life, let us also know that that new life is fully furbished, if you will. Fully furbished with everything we need so that when you walk out of this room, you're able to say, I shall not want. I shall not want. So if you will, go ahead and stand. If you don't have the elements, please go back and grab them. And then come back to your seat and we will will worship Jesus together as we partake of this. The Apostle Paul declaring to the church in Corinth about this meal. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I just want to point out one thing here. Again, we read this every time we do this. But Jesus gave thanks. That means Jesus was thankful for what he was about to do. He was thankful for what he was about to do at the cross. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, You are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim his death together and let's worship him in this time. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church.